Welcome to LD Disrupt, the podcast dedicated to helping you overcome workplace challenges and prepare for the future of work today. I'm your host, Nelson Sivalingam, and I'll be speaking with the movers, shakers, and path breakers in LD who are reshaping their organizations right now. Join us each week as we delve into the highs and lows of work in the industry to get to the real nitty gritty stuff that you actually care about. Yeah, thanks everyone for joining us today. If you've joined us before, you will notice that today I'm Nelson Liss. Normally I'll be joined by Nelson, but he's not with us today. But I have two great guests. Uh, we're going to dive into this topic of HR trends everybody needs to know for next year. The reason that trends everybody needs to know is because although they're HR trends or trends that HR can kind of take the lead on, they're also things that everyone else can help drive through behavior change and how we all act. So really interested to dive into this topic. To give you a bit of context, the basis for these trends is I spent far too long reading every single report I could find from about June onwards. Uh, Coming up with these sort of common themes, I noticed interesting data points I hadn't seen before. And that's how I kind of settled on seven trends, but we're going to talk about four of those today. Then we're going to go into some research from Emma and Carly. So best intro, Emma and Carly. Um, Emma Leonis Hughes is Client Executive Director of HR Transformation at Lace Partners. Carly Paulson is people and culture partner at Unleash. So welcome both of you to the show. Thanks, Gary. So I think we're going to get to, obviously, like I said, your research that you conducted later in the show, and that might be a good time to um, kind of talk a bit more about who you are and what you do. But it might be cool to really get into one of these topics and and pick your brains. So the first one would be how do HR teams and organisations support employees under uh, financial pressure? So one thing I noticed in the research was that although we're seeing things we might expect, like employee stresses at an all-time high, more than half of people were saying they were burnt out. There were some new numbers around financial pressures. So 59% of respondents stated that they were stressed by their money to, uh, monetary situation and that was having a spillover into work. 46% were uncomfortable talking about it at work. And then 17% of people, worst of all, felt resigned to the fact their employer couldn't do anything about it to support them. So, yeah, I'm curious, like, how do we start tackling this? What are your thoughts on this? Maybe Emma will start with you and then we'll bring in Carly. Yeah, sure. Thanks, Gary. Um, It's a really interesting one because I was sort of doing some research as well. And I think actually finances are now the top cause of stress outside work, kind of to, to build on what you said, which might not have been the case, I suppose, you know, 12, 18 months ago. Um, you know, we've seen a lot in the press uh, around sort of um, one-off payments, you know, £1,000, for example, in some of the airlines, you know, increasing base salary, the mix of variable and fixed base um, pay, which, which is good. Um, but I guess my view of that is that's only one, one thing. Um, and actually, sometimes that's quite a short-termist way of, of looking at something. And not every company has that ability. You know, if you're a small organization, you might not be able to sustain that uplift in in salaries, for example. So for me, it's about what more can you do that's quite holistic? Um, That's something that that we're thinking about as well, because I lead our people proposition for less. So effectively, I've got an internal role as much as I work with HR transformation, you know, clients um, from a client delivery side. Um, for example, we've got Royal London as our pension provider. Um, a lot of prevention pension providers will actually run free webinars on financial well-being. Um, it's making you know people aware that that's available for them because a lot of the time, I think our teams they just don't know what what is there, um, and that's that's free. 
you know, it's, it's available. Some banks do the same thing. Um, and I, I remember I was talking to an organization, you know, they're with Barclays. Barclays do the same thing. Again, if you've got that facility, just communicate that um, so that someone can go and, and have that conversation. And maybe employee discount schemes. Uh, so we use Charlie HR. It's a small platform compared to others like Workday, for example, and, and the other kind of big tier one HCMs. But they have employee discount schemes as part of their perks. Some of it's around holidays. Others might be around cinema. Um, there's things around sort of travel as well. All really good. And I guess for me and Carly, you know, we can kind of go back and forth on, on other thoughts with this one. But fundamentally, if you've already got some things that are available, people just might not know. So communicate what is available. Plus, also, there are other things that, that clearly we can consider as well. But I'll let Carly join in versus me going on a bit of a monologue <laughs> about all of my thoughts. <laughs> Uh, no, like I completely um, agree with most, like all the things you sort of said there, Emma. I think there's, um, you know, there's it's a big challenge for for companies at the moment, and knowing kind of the role they play in it, and and ultimately if they've got they're in a financial like a financial position to be able to help and support in some ways, but there are lots of ways that they can support that might not cost them might not cost them very much, right? And um, you talked a lot about financial kind of education, right? I mean, I was never taught like. Financial education at school is shocking. You don't know what your ISA is until you kind of are thrust into adult life and somehow you have to figure it all out for yourself. Um, and the CIPD did like research on this a few years ago, like and launched um, a big report in like, I guess, the four biggest stresses at work and finances, personal finances is one of them for sure. Um, and so there's some great companies out there. Like um, I was thinking of like Bipit, for instance, who are doing sort of free um, webinars and stuff around personal finances. You can uh, look at Female Invest, for instance, who are doing like free webinars or on like uh, ISAs or how to start investing if you're in that position, you know, Octopus Money Coach as well. So there's all these options that you can kind of put forward to your team members and I'll kind of bring in to do some really kind of education around, okay, what what is your financial, your personal financial situation and how can we kind of help you on that front? I mean, with the cost of living crisis, obviously, it's it's just going to be front of everyone's minds. And I think it's really difficult for businesses to kind of navigate some of this. It's quite a difficult topic for them all. You know, what's the role I play in this? Do we look at inflation? Do we look at spot bonuses? Who do we support the most? How like and that ties back to kind of your pay philosophy and what you believe as a, as a company um, and how best you can support your employees. Um, I think. If I had to say there was a bit of advice, you know, start by offering education, ask the people what they want and what support they need, like go out to your team and ask them, you know, there's a lot of focus on kind of coming up with solutions, but don't do it in isolation. And then communicate, absolutely communicate what you're in a position to be able to do um, and don't ignore it, like really don't ignore the, the topic because um, you know, people will be seeing their colleagues, their friends, their family members being told they're getting more flexibility for travel, for instance, they can don't have to travel at peak time, so it doesn't cost as much money, or they'll be getting a spot bonus that will support them, or they'll be talking about carpooling or whatever those options are. And if you're sat there thinking, well, my company hasn't said anything to me about this, maybe they don't care. I think it's far from far from that, but we're just sort of burying our heads in the sand and actually we need to be quite open about what we can and can't do. Yeah. yeah, it's a great point because at the end of the day, it's like anything people talk, you look at what other companies are doing and you use that as a reference point. And a lot of the time there is that kind of if you don't do something, you are burying your head in the sand a little bit. And 
something to just come back to there. We often talk about L&D, like coming from an L&D perspective, being in the business of behavior change. And like you said, that education, that awareness can help that. But also, like you alluded to there, have to know which behavior we're going to try, try and change. So not every, it's not a big blanket, like financial pressure for people. There's like some people that, like you said, will be struggling with travel costs. Some people with childcare costs, some people with maybe it's like repaying loans, like student loans, like all these other things that they might need to help move the needle on. But I guess one thing I wanted to pick your brains about was this idea that 17% or actually 46% of people didn't really feel comfortable talking about it at work. And therefore, if we can't get people necessarily to open up, we actually can't diagnose where the problem lies. So how could we approach that? I mean, I guess the obvious answer is like anonymous feedback, but I'm guessing that there's maybe a, something we can elaborate on there. I think it's about yeah. making it feel a safe environment. I think that, you know, a lot of us just in general, I'm not comfortable, you know, talking to my friends about finances. It's, it's not just, you know, confined to the, the workspace, is it? And some of that's a cultural thing as well, actually. You know, in the UK, we're quite reserved. Other, other countries may or may not be exactly the same. But that comes down to one of the agile challenges. And Gary, I know we, we've talked about this before around, you know, your leaders and your line managers, creating that environment where people do feel that they they can open up, that they're not going to be judged. Um, that you, you normalize the fact that it is okay to effectively not be okay about some of these things. Um, and it's actually part of, I think, a broader conversation. This isn't just about financial well-being. This is about employee well-being. So, so merging it into that whole piece, because if you're stressed financially, that's going to have an impact on your mental health, your physical health, all of those types of things. Um, easier said than done. But I, I do think, you know, those behaviours of line managers and team leads are really important. And sometimes, you know, just having that anonymous individual you can go and speak to, which comes back to maybe the financial coach that, you know, you gave some examples of, Carly, for example, like Octopus. Um, yeah, I think it's really important. Yeah. I mean, you know, creating that psychological safety um, and, and that's down to like leaders and leaders playing those roles. Right. And and showing, you know, showing their again, communicating and showing their vulnerability too. like everyone's going to be impacted differently. But if if the leaders of the business are able to talk about it in a way, you know, that shows that, that either that they're, you know, they're understanding that how difficult it is, maybe they're impacted, maybe they're not, but maybe they've got close relatives that are impacted or whatever it is, you know, we're all dealing with it in different ways. So I think there has to be an element of vulnerability there and creating that space for it. So, and being able, confident and in and, and sharing that um, in those situations, uh, I think is is super, super important. And like, you know, I, uh, I'm i a big believer in my own kind of financial independence, and this is a, a kind of hardwired in me from my background, my upbringing, et cetera. Um, and it really hits me. This is something that really hits me when I feel financial pressure. I really do feel it and I feel the weight of it and, you know, feel it quite deeply. But I also, you know, um, it, with the team at Unleashed, we kind of do a, like a daily rag sort of thing with like red, amber, green, how we're feeling today. And I will quite openly say sometimes, oh, this is, you know, my mortgage is going to go up by X in like in a couple of months time that is and but I felt comfortable saying it to the team that I'm in and kind of just sharing that um and I think that's just like just to shows how good you know that that leadership is is valued and that kind of sharing and being and feeling safe to do so is so important yeah yeah exactly it comes back to something we spoke about anyone who joined us last week would have heard we had Richard on from Assemble You and they create podcast style learning 
uh, for for like courses and so on. We spoke about internal podcasts, and sometimes it's also like the medium is the message. Like if you're trying to convey vulnerability, like just a faceless email to someone might not work. Like you have to think about what's the topic at hand and what's the best way to communicate it. Something like a podcast, a short video, someone films on their phone, it is a lot more open, and people can really feel that from the leaders that they're okay talking about it and. Yeah, I think sometimes that's what's useful, thinking about how you communicate it as well, not just, well, I guess sometimes there's a tendency to think, oh, we sent something out and our job is done. But you have to think a bit more about that, especially applying like a marketing mindset to that. Like, how do I reduce the friction for someone to access this resource? How do I reduce the the tedium of trying to read this? Like, I don't want to read 4,000 words about anything, <laughs> to be honest with you. So just send me like bullet <laughs> points and I'll, and I'll pick up the rest from there. Um, <laughs> this leads us quite nicely into the next topic, really, because one thing I found particularly interesting was a change in dynamic in company culture and how people want to experience relationships at work. So there was a complete 180 in the stats from pre-pandemic to the most recent I could find. But about December 2019, people said that they were 10 times more likely to stay at a company for relationships than money. Fast forward to the most recent, it was the last factor in job satisfaction. So relationships with managers and co-workers polled at like 11%. Compensation was a clear winner at 43%, even above, I think, 10% or so percentage points above the second place. So there seems to be a shift as well. And, and how we manage this is probably the question, but people want to experience company culture on different terms. Uh, I do actually have some reasons from the research, but before I give you bias about what they are um i'm just curious maybe carly let's start with you but are people engaging with like company culture differently now do relationships have a different role at work um so i guess my answer to that would be i think it depends <laughs> just as just in the same way that you know people will engage with it in different ways um and i think we have to be you know, people have different needs, different expectations, and I think they have to be comfortable with accepting that. I think one of the things that I've found, you know, in from kind of when I first started out in people and in HR, that it felt very kind of rigid and standardized that you were trying to make sure that everyone had the same experience and the same things. And it was like the same forms, the same structures, the same. And actually, we're all different. We all have different needs. We all like different ways of working. You know, I'm more creative at night. Um, you know, I can just get in the zone. And it's just so if I can have that flexibility, it works really well for me. So I think we all have different needs. And I think it's the same when it comes to kind of um, building out whatever it is that I guess we, when we're talking about relationships and connection, right, in these in organizations, because culture isn't just that, right? We we know it's far more than that. And this is just one part of it. But actually giving people the options to engage with it in the ways that they feel comfortable engaging with it. You know, I think. I, th I found it really interesting, you know, the stat that it came last and in particular around like culture. I think depending on when this kind of data was pulled, you know, the financial piece and the 43% like putting finances top. Yeah. If you're worried about your finances and you're able to go and find another job when you're going to get paid more, you're going to. But if that's the stressor there, but equally, you know, purpose and culture still play a fundamental part in people joining and staying um, in, in organizations. So part of your attraction and retention strategy. And like, if you are, <laughs> if you're gonna treat people like shit, they're gonna go, they they will leave. And like, and we've seen it this week. And I don't know if you've been reading about this, but obviously with Twitter being laid off and like 50% of staff going and then all of a sudden getting phone calls, asking them to come back in 
because they realized they made a mistake. I, I don't know how many have gone back in, but I can imagine you got that phone call. You're going to be like, um, no, you just, you just make me feel awful. You've put me something through really quite traumatic and difficult. And now you want me to come back. I don't, I don't think I will. Thanks. But it's nice. Nice of you to ask, but I'm good. So yeah, I, I think my advice on these things would be, um, be clear about what you expect as a company. If you have a culture where you want people to be really part of a community and you expect them to be in X amount of days a week and you expect them to take part and you want them to opt in and be part of all these things, be clear about that if that's what if that's what you're expecting. Um, ask people what they want and how they want to do things. Um, and then um, and then accept that not everybody will want to and they will engage in the things that they want to take part in. And um, what was my final point? Um, something to do but kind of that there will be kind of subcultures there will be people who are super engaged and will and there'll be others who won't and that's that's absolutely fine they'll do what matters most to them yeah yeah it's like fostering the natural behavior actually I think this yeah. is another thing we talk about often but do you need to shape the culture or do you need to go and find where it exists and if it's evolved naturally over time you can't really necessarily go now and say this is our culture actually your people are creating the culture every day and then they they will tell you what it is right so if people don't they stop coming to social events after work or you know people stop scheduling meetings before 10 because they're not morning mm-hmm. people like these are the things that happen but um Emma what are your thoughts on this idea around the change in relationship with culture well, I fully um, agree with everything Carly said, and I, I think you know that statistic is purely probably um, a co- um, combination of the environment that we're in right now. I think if you you know asked that in you know, two years ago or two years from now, hopefully it would be a flip. I'd like to think, mm-hmm. um, but for me, you know, you've got to have conscious interventions because if you don't consciously think about these things, mm-hmm. then you're going to either end up with everybody doing something completely different and no one really feels connected in any shape or form because everybody's doing things that are different. It doesn't feel fair. Well, that team over there went out for lunch or that team over there did this. We haven't had anything. So it's got to be an element of, of consciousness. But ultimately, you know, Carly, for me, hit the nail on the head when she said, you've got to ask people what they want because not everybody wants the same. We, you know, we talked about that from the financial well-being side. Not everybody wants the same in terms of an experience and experience links very nicely to, to culture. So what is it that's working? Why are things not working? Um, you might have face-to-face events. Well, don't assume they're all in London. No, we we all have different you know places we live now. A lot of us have moved outside of London. So how are you keeping those subcultures, back to, to Carly's point, kind of integrated, connected? But it also comes to behaviours. Back to that point again, I think of, of leadership behaviors too, because they ultimately do create the culture of an organization and the subcultures within those teams. Um, so yeah, but you know, asking, being transparent, um, listening to feedback. I know that's something we're probably going to come on to shortly, Gary. So I won't go into that in too much detail now. But it's it's very connected, isn't it? Because if you don't, if you ask for something and don't act on it, well, okay, I'm not going to feel so engaged now. And I don't really understand what it is we stand for because you're not constantly reinforcing that, constantly communicating that. Hence that conscious element, I think, is very important too. That that reinforcement piece. Yeah, no, definitely. And, and you're right, there's something we're going to come to next. But um, I guess what I'll just quickly summarise, I think we touched on most of it there, actually. The reasons in the reports that this seemed to be happening, one, remote employees felt less connected to culture naturally. So we kind of talked about that a bit more in terms of 
what's a good fit for your company where it is right now? Ask people if they're remote. Um, on a similar note, more than half of those remote employees said they were unlikely attend, to attend voluntary events in the future that were employer organized. So again, it's like people want it on their terms. And you know, if it's a two hour journey, of course they're unlikely to want to attend, right? And then one about your interesting one, um, and it comes back to what you said about redundancies there, Carly, but people in companies with high turnover are now starting to think it's less worthwhile to get to know their co-workers. So I guess it's like that thing, you know, if there's constant churn, do you really, it takes a lot of effort and energy to get to know people well, doesn't it? And build up a rapport. And if it's a kind of a revolving door, then we, um, yeah, we do end up with a bit of an issue there. Um I actually that's really, yeah. no, go ahead. <laughs> yeah, you go, Carly. I think both of us are surprised by that last yeah. last point. Go go for it, Carly. Yeah, but I think I mean people will go and work places where whatever matters them to ha- like happens. I guess so. If I think about if I think about companies where I've heard of like really kind of horrific cultures, right? And there are people, and sometimes it's really public, and it's people know. Um, but they'll choose, they'll opt in, right? They'll decide to go and work for those companies because, I don't know, they're a rocket ship and the experience they're going to get there in the space of a year, they'll suck it up for a year if they think it's awful and they'll go in and do it. And the reason they're there is this is going to propel me to X, Y, Z, where I want to get to. And actually, that's what matters to me right now. If it, if I, I can deal with it for a year to 18 months, that's fine. Like, And I think people will ultimately choose what matters to them most um and if they know that their culture is like that but they're opting into that that's their that's a choice they're making it's a similar way to you know going to somewhere if you've been in a toxic culture and actually like i do not want to work in any kind of environment like that ever again you're going to be really conscious of asking those cultural questions and really kind of assessing that when you're going into interviews with anyone else um and then the point just around quickly around connection you know i think about building relationships it's kind of creating opportunities for connection um, and 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 kind of being conscious in like the options that are there to connect and create that kind of connection. But again, people will connect in different ways. Um, you know, engineer. I've had work with engineering teams who create socials to uh, online to do sort of um, online gaming or or whatever it is to create that kind of uh, connection in that way. So they're all kind of connecting through playing a game. Um, I've got someone actually organising uh, their offsite next week, and they're going to be doing sort of Lego building, etc. Create that kind of a connection. But other people will connect in different ways through just having a coffee or a, a you know a virtual coffee is another way of connecting, and that's fine. Um, so it's, I guess it's kind of making sure people are aware of what's okay, what's possible, and and how it's supported. Um, yeah. Might have waffled on a little bit on those two points. <laughs> no, I, I I totally agree. I mean, I, I was just going to comment, Gary, on that point that you made around you know companies uh, with a high turnover, so people that work in those environments are just like, well, why bother getting to know Carly? Right, I've been working with Carly, but why why, why bother get to know Carly or Gary? Actually, I find that really quite saddening. Actually, mm-hmm. um, you know, uh, I'd love to understand with the high turnover piece, what's driving that? Now, if that's toxic behaviours, as we've given some examples of, completely kind of get that, because it's kind of like, well, I'm not really going to stay here anyway, so so why would I bother? But if it's high turnover in the sense of, you know, fast-paced environment, the average tenure is two years, for example, because that's just the nature of the business, it's not because of leadership, 
that is really sad if, if people genuinely feel like that. Um, and I think as people leaders, you know, the people function, the HR function has a real job in actually addressing that because there's so much value in making sure people do feel that they're connected. It's like, we don't want you to feel like that. Two years is normal here, for example. It's it's not a bad thing. Do get connected. Um, I mean, if they don't want to, then that's absolutely fine. But I'm just, yeah, I'm saddened by that statistic, to be yeah. honest with you. Yeah. yeah, I think part of the problem is well, a lot of the time people don't find this out until someone's leaving the company. So yeah. like, this is going to come into the next point around feedback. But unless you have a good feedback mechanisms for people to flag when this stuff is happening, then the only time they're really going to tell you is when they leave in an exit interview, and then nothing can be done about it. So it's kind of yeah, it's pretty de- demoralizing, really, as a a stat. Yeah. Uh, I missed a perfect segue earlier to tell people about the next episode because um, Emma, you mentioned about leaders setting examples and next week we're talking well next time we're talking about leading and learning in flat organizations so we often talk about them as like an unalloyed good like democratizing knowledge sharing everyone's on the same plane but actually there's a it's a more nuanced subject there's challenges that come to that expectation setting um, how we work together you know processes so um yeah if anyone's interested in that i'll put the link in the chat now and you can just pretend that i said this 20 minutes ago when that was the perfect segue time i'm normally, <laughs> I'm normally good on the segues but, um, is he editing this time. i'm gonna be like a really poor edit there'll be like a, a quick jump to like me with no no cardigan on completely <laughs> seamless um so yeah just drop that in the chat now but that would be a really good session and again it'd be great to see some of you there and hear your thoughts and questions but yeah, to come on to that, now we're going to come back to the, the previous good segue. I'm not as far apart this time, but <laughs> one of the stats I found was around feedback culture, really. And it was that people don't think HR teams are listening enough. So 85% of HR staff think that they use feedback to improve the employee experience, but only 50% of staff agree. Only 14% of people think their employer uses the feedback effectively to drive change. And 70% of staff said they had little or no influence on how things were done at their company. So I guess there's really a disconnect. But what I'm curious to know is, is it that we're not collecting feedback in the right way? Is it that we're not actioning it in the right way? Or is it that we're not communicating it in the right way? Or is it sadly all three? Oh, it's got to be all three, <laughs> surely. <laughs> all three. Yep. Well, where do you think um, we can go with this? Because we, we did allude to it a little bit, like thinking more about what's a good cultural fit for how you collect feedback. But I guess it's like, how can we make it more of a day-to-day thing? How do we make sure it doesn't like, it's not just your performance review where you get a chance to talk about this or by annual surveys where like something happened to you like week one after the last survey and you've been fostering, like that's been festering for five and a half months and finally you're letting rip on like Survey Monkey, like 7,000 words and letting it all out. But yeah, Emma, what do you think on this topic? Yeah, so um, for me, it goes back to, you know, you've got Teams, teams within teams um so it's great that people might do great place to work we, we do that at lace we've just run our annual survey for example others will do you know other annual surveys biannual whatever that looks like but we also have a concept of an ambassador group so that's you know a group of individuals that cut across our organization different levels different teams and they get together um with me as, as people kind of director for lace every sort of six weeks and the first thing we always talk about is What's the word on the street? So how are your teams feeling? And um, what are you hearing? So these aren't always managers. These are people who might be brand new into the organization as, you know, grads, as analysts, all the way through up to kind of senior managers and beyond. Hence, that cross section is really important. Um, and it's something super simple to do. 
You could even do that as a team lead, quite frankly. If you're managing a team of, you know, a couple of hundred people, why would you not do that? It doesn't have to sit with the people function to do it. It's lovely if it does, because then you've naturally got that sort of direct view, I guess, back into the business of of what's kind of coming up. Um, But it's something super simple. Um, We trial ideas, we get feedback, you know, looking at our our benefits or that kind of thing. Like if we changed it, what would kind of things that you'd like to to see be? Um, And we we then feed that back up as an exec team as well. So I think that's something super simple that any organisation could do, no matter how big or how small, for example. Um, But yeah, I, I do see personally the disconnect when I work with HR functions externally as a consultant, hence my double hat role, I suppose, internal and external, in the HR thinks it does a great job because it's asking for net, you know, net promoter score. Yay, brilliant. Um, doesn't actually tell you that much, to be to be quite honest. Um, it will tell you, yes, you've got some detractors or you've got X percent of, you know, people who are really positive, but it's the why. And the only way you're going to get to get to the why is if you actually ask people. And even doing that through a survey it's anonymous, you know, unless you can really get to the, the rub of the issue through talking to people, you're not going to really be able, I don't think, to get the anecdotal information that you need. So that, that blend, I guess, is really important yeah. through surveys and the conversations. Yeah, yeah. I think it's um, yeah, it's about that, again, what we spoke about earlier, not just thinking your job is done once the survey is back out, like, and you oh, yeah. get the responses. Um, I think it's like thinking about when you do it as well. You don't always, even if you sent one, say you sent one two weeks ago and then like some big news comes out around redundancies, like send one again, maybe thinking about that. You just reminded me actually, before we come to, to Carly, uh, you see my short-term memory problem. So I best say this before I forget, but actually in one of my old companies, we had this system where once a month there was like a big company meeting, but it was just one person from each department plus the company like directors and so on. And that person mm-hmm. in the department was like the point of contact for everyone else. So the, the month that I did it, everyone could come to me in private with their concerns i would go and represent them anonymously to the rest of the company and we would all have an input and it was kind of like a two-pronged thing like one person it builds trust between like the person who's the point of contact and the rest of the team it gives everyone a voice at different times of the year to come to the the company so i guess that was a good example of a culture fit that i just wanted to share before we um, move on but yeah carly what are your thoughts around this feedback culture um so a couple of things right we, you know i mean you touched on some really good gave a really good example of something there that's quite easy to set up and do and get that kind of qualitative feedback which i think you know we get as you say sort of measuring emps scores is really helpful everyone's kind of got a peak on or a culture amp or an office vibe or whatever it is that you're using or your um your hrs system like that can support that which is great um and often you'll get the scores and it'll give you give you trends which is obviously really useful i think the 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 meat is obviously in the qualitative feedback that you get and actually in a previous company we worked i worked with we spent a lot of time um in working with directors and managers etc going through the qualitative feedback and actually responding to it uh, or asking for more like and and what else or actually would you be open to actually having a conversation with me about this because i would really like to understand this more so really being making a conscious effort to to dig into the qualitative feedback um so, I mean, if you're not, if you're collecting that data and not use it, I mean, it's a, what a waste of money yeah. um, on those systems if, if, if you know, if you're not. Um, and then I, I was really surprised around the kind of point around this disconnect, right, which was, um, I'm a big believer in transparency and communication. So, like, if you've got those scores, 
and you've got some anonymized comments and stuff, use them and present them back to your team. Tell them what's happening. Be be open about this these things. It's going to give you so much more insight afterwards. And then once you're kind of able to discuss these things, you know, ask again, either there and then. Some people might not be willing to share what they're feeling. They might feel too intimidated or whatever that is. Give them different means of kind of sharing more feelings, whether it's a conversation in a meeting like you talked about, Emma, and things, and that having a representative do that for you, or if you've got an uh, anonymous kind of AMA channel in your Slack, for instance, to kind of add in different comments or thoughts. Um, what was the other thing I had in mind? Um, even offer up, you know, one-to-ones um, to, to explore something in more detail. It's just pe- help people feel more comfortable sharing some of this insight and stuff and getting really into the detail of what's happening. Um, and, and then I think my final thing, around transparency and communication, I think my final thing is, again, if you're taking this feedback and then you start building something and then you come back and go, here you go, there's there's your disconnect. Like if, if you're not involving, you're asking them for feedback, but then you're not taking your users and building it. And, you know, we talk about people as product and, mm-hmm. um, you know, there's some great stuff out there and there's a book coming out by Jess and, and all this kind of stuff, like really thinking about, who your users are and who you're building for and getting them involved in that building process so that they actually can see the progress. They can see constantly that it ties back to the results that they've, their feedback and their insights that they've shared. And that's everything that kind of we work on. We unleash that's, we we take design thinking approach to everything we do and we involve, you know, volunteers from teams to come forward and help us create things that are going to support them in relation to what they need. They become uh, your advocates, don't they? Your advocates yeah, for change yeah. as well. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, no, exactly. Um, change management has been a topic of discussion for years. You know, there's theory around like Cotter and Lewin and all this kind of stuff and communication. Oh, <laughs> fundamental. <laughs> yeah, there's a theme that kind of runs through this actually because it starts with what Emma said about what's the word on the street. So people who are already advocates for the feedback culture will be showing you. People are already <laughs> sharing feedback. Like there might be a Slack channel where you see someone post like a frustration three or four times, right? You can pick up on that without them telling you. You can see if someone comes to you with an idea and then you action it and then you can see a positive response in them. Why not see if they can communicate it to the rest of the business? I took this to senior management. They actioned it. Now we have this new policy in place. Let them speak about it because they're advocates. And it's like people who joined before would have heard me and Nelson talk about positive feedback loops quite a lot. But this is a good example of that. If you give a bit of feedback and then you see that it actually drives some tangible change, you're more likely to give feedback in the future. Because I know we spoke about this, Carly, actually, but you can send surveys to your blue in the face. But the less you action the findings from the survey, the less you're going to see quality in responses. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Sure. Yep. And, and, and like pulse like pulse checks right you were talking about the, the space between getting those kind of insights and things you know if you can do uh you know frequent check-ins and obviously it depends on how big your team is how much how you know how much capacity there is to deal with this all, all this data coming in all the time but um we for, for example our internal team at unleashed we have um, we have our Friday pulse and every Thursday we're asked to answer a set of questions and celebrate some wins from the week. And then we talk about them in our team meeting. And then any kind of, we're asked to share any frustrations or anything or, or why maybe our score might be slightly less than the week before. And is anyone in the team willing to share like why that might be? Now, we, we're a small team, we're a very close team, very connected team and feel very comfortable I think feel very psychologically safe to be able to talk about these things very openly. Um, 
But even if you're in a team that hasn't quite got that level of, uh, of, of trust, I guess, then, you know, but still being able to track on a, a, a more frequent cadence and getting those touch points, that's going to really help you um, as an, an indicator of when, you know, you need to explore things more or not. Um, yeah. And the, I think the timeliness of, of the action is, as we've said, is really important. So yes, you've got to take some action. Otherwise I'm not going to bother giving you feedback anyway, next time. But also sometimes we worry about getting a perfect solution to something. Mm-hmm. Actually doing something is better than doing nothing. Um, and, you know, when, when I speak to sort of people directors, they go, I've got all these things I need to deal with. I'm like, yep. And you do need to deal with those. But let's try and sequence this. So every quarter you're doing something. So you're showing progress, you're actioning on it, you're getting feedback on how did it land? Did it not land? You know, experienced teams are now existing in, in HR functions or people functions or even more broadly. That's what their role is. Their role is to get feedback, listen on it, look through the end-to-end experience. What does the people function own? How do I change my recruitment process? All of those kind of things. So I guess, yeah, start small, mm-hmm. um, which goes back to some of those change management principles. But doing something, doing something small, showing progress is brilliant. It's better than doing nothing at all or trying to wait till you've got the perfect solution, which six months down the line probably isn't relevant anymore anyway. <laughs> No, that's Never one of my favourite sayings, that one, like a good plan today is better than a perfect plan tomorrow if you need mm. something doing today, right? Um, no, never. Never. <laughs> <laughs> never. What, never reach a perfect plan or never? <laughs> no, <go on> then. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's just that 100 yeah. right? That's huge. Mm-hmm. That's, that's massive, feeling yeah. that they don't have any influence or say. That's, yeah. wow. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's an eye-opening one, really. I think it's... Um, yeah, this is what I found for a lot of these stats, actually. There was some really sad stuff to see in there that you would have thought, considering the amount of times we've talked about some of these things as if they're just like buzzwords and then they're gone, but actually they're, they're long-term things. Uh, one thing I want to remind people of is if you have any questions, you can drop them in the chat. Um, we do have one more talking point, but I'd actually like to get into maybe some of the findings from your research to make sure that we don't run out of time to, to do this. So, um, yeah. Basically, this is probably the time as well to explain a bit about who you are and what you do. Um, Emma, I know you recently published some research and Carly, you're in the process of um, sort of finalising some. So Emma, maybe let's start um, with yourself. I know basically for for people who don't know, you recently um, created this HR's One Big Thing report. So maybe Mm -hmm. just tell us a bit more quickly about LACE, what the report is and some of the big findings from that. Yeah, sure. Thanks, Gary. Um, So LACE, we're a boutique HR transformation consultancy. So we work with people directors every single day um, of of our lives in LACE, really helping them figure out, so what are your priorities? Um, What does that mean in terms of linking your business strategy? And how do you kind of do the right thing, I guess, for your your teams and your employees? So that could be lots of different things. It could be implementing a new system for HR. It could be um, fundamentally changing the talent attraction process, for example, and your philosophy around that, Lo- loads of different dimensions. Um, as I said earlier, I, I have a dual role, so I actually lead our own EVP internally for LACE because we're, we're a growing business. Um, so that's quite exciting. I have to practice what I preach to my clients and hopefully do that in a good way. <laughs> Fingers crossed. That's a bit embarrassing. Um, but one of the things that we're passionate about, and actually it's one of our kind of core three values as a company at LACE, is innovation. So very recently, I think about sort of three, four weeks ago, we published a kind of snapshot report called One Big Thing, um, which you just mentioned, Gary. And that was really essentially asking chief people officers one question, you know, over the next 12 to 24 months, so next one to two years, if you could fix just one thing related to people in your organization, what would that be? 
So we went just to CPOs. Um, we're very conscious of getting the right level of input with the surveys that we do and research that we do. Um, so we had responses from 30 different organisations that covered, I think it's half a million employees, so quite sizable in terms of the organisations that responded. And the two top things, that there were three overall, but two stood out more than any that kind of came out were talent attraction. So 36% of those CPOs said talent attraction is the one thing. Not surprising uh, in some respects, although we did do this kind of analysis over July, August and sort of early into early September. So a little bit before we're now in the state of the economy that we are um, in some respects. And then the second top piece, uh, which 30 percent of the CPO said was flexible working hybrid, um, which actually personally for me is quite an interesting one because that's not something new. You know, we've been talking about that since the start of the pandemic two years ago. So what is it that kind of, you know, sits beneath that? Is it just we haven't got the right policies in place yet? You know, our leaders are now starting to mandate that you've got to come back two, three days a week and actually fixing the days. I've I've heard of that. There's been some examples of that in the press, which probably links back to the point around culture that we've already talked about earlier on. Um, and then also employee value proposition came up as well, um, which sort of 13% of, of those CPOs said. So they, they were the top three kind of overall themes, I guess. And there's so much that that sits behind those. You know, talent attraction is all around, you know, am I offering the right employee value proposition in the first place to get people in the door? Um, is my recruitment process slick enough? Am I looking at talent from the right sources? All of those things. Um, so over the course of the next kind of two, three months, we're going to take each of those topics and actually deep dive into them, do some webinars, do some podcasts, write some blogs um, to give some real kind of advice as to some of the things that you can consider. But yeah, the flexible working one really struck me as that's interesting, given that we are two years into doing that. So really keen to, to delve into that more. Yeah, no, I found that actually in some other research that there was still like this big disconnect, especially with learning between remote and in-person employees. So there was like, I think it was having access to a space to learn and having time to learn. There was like this big disparity between how easy it is for people in person to find that versus how easy it is for people who still work remotely. So I don't think we've figured it out quite yet, have we, even now? Um, I've already read the report, so I'd love to hear Carly's thoughts on any of what Emma just said there. Um. I mean, interestingly, I, I, yeah, I find it really fascinating um, because it's 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 somewhat different to 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 the results that I've um, that we've been going through in the research that we've got, um, and I think it's because of the nature of the organisations that we're working with, right? Um, uh, but I think the the your point about hybrid working and remote and and all of that, it, I think that's going to carry on, uh, and I would agree. And it even even though it hasn't actually come up in our um, results so far from what we've seen and what we're uncovering. Um, like people, companies are still trying to work this out. They're still trying to work out how, how, how it fits, um, and, and, and ways of working around it because there's still frustrations and niggles with it all. And I actually, I think there's still, because every company is slightly different and how we'll have slightly different needs and uh, different approaches to it. I think it, it's, it's keep testing and tweaking and trialing it. And I don't think anyone's got a perfect solution for it yet um to be perfectly honest yeah. so I, i'm not surprised that that's on there yeah. um uh but i yeah it's quite interesting uh, i think and particularly around your other point around talent attraction as well that's um certainly in light of the trends we've seen the last few weeks and months i would say um 
and and certainly with the amount i mean for anyone being um impacted by layoffs and stuff at the moment and particularly ta teams like that's it's a really tough time and then when you see that stat around people focusing on talent attraction you're like well who's going to do it if you haven't got your ta teams right like uh, and your evp like it's same similar thing like this is what ta teams do um so yeah really interesting I'm looking. Well, have, have you have to send to me so I can read it? I haven't read it. <laughs> yeah, we'll make sure we're going to send an email out after um, after this is finished with links to the recordings. We'll include some of the um, links to the research there, links to Emma and Carly's profile, so you can connect with them and keep an eye on when uh, more research comes out and, like Emma said, more stuff being repurposed. There was I do remember the building <laughs> agile organisations was also in that list. So I guess at least there's some self awareness mm-hmm. around people knowing that more changes come in and they need to be prepared to deal with it. So, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, that was one thing I remember from the report, uh, the report from reading it. Uh, yeah, Carly, it might make sense as well. Now I know talent attraction is also something you, you, um, Imagine. saw in your research, but yeah, maybe tell us a bit about who you are, what Unleash do and, and what the research you're doing at the moment is. Yeah, sounds good. So, um, people always start with what they do. So I'm going to be, I'm going to go rogue. Uh, I'm a mum of two. Under the age of five, they are wonderful and full on. Um, I, uh, yeah, I am, as of this year, a skateboarder and open water swimmer, uh, even in the cold weather. And um, I also happen to be a people and culture partner at Unleashed. Um, and, um, and I'm also an admin of a, a massive talent um, and people community called DBR. There's like 9,000 professionals in that. Um, so people in culture are unleashed. So we unleashed are essentially like um, a consultancy, but uh, we partner with startups and scale-ups in the UK and Europe, and we work with them on all things people and culture. Um, we kind of do a bit of an audit, work with you on a people strategy and set out a road, roadmap and then help you execute on it. Some companies are super small, have, have zero HR function, people function. Others are much bigger and we're kind of working with people directors, CPOs, et cetera, on, on executing on some of this stuff. I guess the kind of core product is our retainer product, um, part, partnering a day a week with these different companies. Um, but we also have a leadership development program called Leadership Unleashed. Um, and uh, we also do kind of bespoke projects um, on certain things like IND, for instance, um, or leveling or um, with some bigger companies as well. So that's what we do. And I've been there for a year uh, and it's been uh, yeah, an incredible journey. I've worked with some amazing companies and still am working with some amazing companies so far. So it's awesome. Um, so our research, basically, we wanted to understand just the challenges. We went out with a survey to our kind of community, people subscribe to our newsletter, other communities that we're in asking, you know, what are your what are your top challenges? What are the most pressing um, challenges that you're seeing? Like top challenges for HR teams or people teams and then top challenges just as an organisation, seeing how where that differentiates maybe a little bit. But then also understanding kind of internal capability of being able to deal or manage some of these challenges internally, whether they feel they have the, the, the capacity or capability to do so. Um, and so some of the interesting findings. So the top three priorities that came out, uh, and this is why we're kind of different, like, which is really interesting. So um, enabling incredible performance was number one. Uh, the second one, music to your ears, Gary, as I said to you uh, yesterday, is supporting growth and development in your teams. And then the third was developing great leaders and managers. Um, and then 
quickly followed, I guess, the kind of the fourth and fifth were like communication and and um and culture related, um, which I think was interesting related to the um the information you shared uh earlier in this kind of um well today basically. So yeah, enabling performance, supporting growth and development in their teams, developing great leaders and managers. But then the following kind of again sort of organization wide were number one, enabling performance. Strong team communication is number two, developing great leaders and managers, number three, and then number four, attracting top talent. So again, like it's it's these things are coming up and, and given, as I said, like the layoffs and stuff we've seen, I think the number four in there attracting top talent is particularly interesting. But um, I do wonder, um, I guess there's a, there's a few things. I've, I've just got my notes here, sorry, as I'm looking over. So there, it's, it's, it's really... Um, quite fascinating I think the final point and I'll come back to some of my thoughts on the other bits in a second but 70% of respondents uh, said that they felt they didn't have the capacity or capability to tackle these people and culture challenges in their organizations which is is really really um yeah but I think I think that was the most kind of shocking stat mm-hmm. I think I found yeah, I think enabling performance, I'm not surprised by that statistic. We know we know that the UK has a massive problem with productivity compared to sort of Europe in general and things like that. And so actually really nailing performance, you know, what does that look like and how do you enable that? Um, and I think that comes, a lot of it kind of stems from, you know, I mean, the backbone of, I think, of some uh, like performance and stuff is just really great conversations and really great leadership. And so... You know, if you've got great leaders and great managers, I think other things kind of fall into place. So as long as you're really clear on what your aspirations and your goals are and what you're aiming for, and you're really clear on those things, what you know, the metrics that matter. If you've got great leaders and great managers, I think other things fall into place. Um, and those cumul- that, those conversations, I think, are the, yeah, the fundamental part and backbone of like mm-hmm. of great performance, basically. Um, but yeah, I would love to hear what you both think on on those points um yeah um yeah it's just really interesting <laughs> yeah. no agreed uh, emma did you want to go first yeah thanks gary um so like yeah developing great leaders and managers t- totally with you on on all of that carly um mm. it it yeah it enables so many other things all of which we've been talking about actually today culture behaviors feeling connected feeling part of something all of that type of good stuff retention and i guess if we were to kind of go even higher level maybe enabling incredible performance and supporting growth and development could be all part of your employee value proposition i.e what are you doing to achieve both of those outcomes so what is your offering around performance development growth career planning that type of thing that is all part of your value proposition Mm -hmm. um and i guess being explicit about that as well so yeah i'm not surprised they're in there just there's just maybe a subset of our higher level uh, themes because obviously even talent attraction i mean there's so much that sits within that clearly absolutely yeah, yeah i think yeah. for me the interesting one is again it's that self-awareness like people were saying they don't have the tools or like the capabilities to maybe drive some of this change and that's sometimes a hard thing to admit but i think it comes from self-awareness so it's nice to see that people understand the challenges and where they want to get to but they also understand the limitations so um yeah i'm really looking forward to seeing the full report like i said uh, there'll be links to carly and unleashed in the post podcast stuff so you can follow along and see um, when sort of the full findings are, are ready uh mm-hmm. we're sort of like really nearly at the end now so i think maybe i'll just ask you that final question i had um 
around it, and it comes back to talent attraction actually. But I'm going to do a very shameless around it, and it comes back to talent attraction. Slight delay there. Uh, it's just going to say I'm going to do a shameless plug. I'd love to connect with as many of you on LinkedIn as possible. So I'm going to put my uh, need to be customized LinkedIn URL in the chat because it still has A7, A, B, something on the end. Um, but yeah, it'd be great to connect with some of you in that way. I'll share the links as well when they're, they're already. But one thing we spoke about recently on an episode from an L&D perspective is what do we do when we can't buy or borrow talent? So we alluded to it a lot today. There's been hiring freezes. There's been redundancies. That means companies are losing valuable knowledge, but also they can't always buy or borrow the skills. They need to fill gaps. So it's about how do we build it internally? So, um, yeah, just a few minutes left. But I'd like to hear sort of from a HR perspective, if you have any thoughts on, on any of that. We should be doing that anyway. Like that's my personal view. You know, there's so much untapped talent within organisations. Linking back to some of the, you just said, Carly, you know, enabling incredible performance, supporting growth and development. This all links to that. So, yeah, clearly, you know, if there's less talent in the market, which, you know, people are going to want to stay in their jobs, obviously understand that right now, then you're going to have to grow and develop. Um, but we should be doing that anyway. So, you know, you can't kind of use the current situation as an excuse, I suppose, as an HR director to have not done it before now would be my my view on things. Um, but it is how you do that kind of quickly. And I guess it's back to that consciousness piece. So what are the kind of key skills that you need? Um, there's lots of research out there from like the likes of the World Economic Forum around the skills for the future. But what do they mean in your context? Because they might not all be relevant. Um, and a lot of them are softer, in inverted commas, because I actually don't think any skill is soft. You know, leadership as a capability is not a soft skill. Um, you know, having the right communication ability is not a soft skill either. But what does that mean in your context? And, you know, where should you prioritise your, your focus? Because, again, you're not going to be able to do everything straight away. So I think it comes back to asking, understanding, listening, um, and asking your managers, you know, that individual there for their career development, should we put them on to common? You know, opening up new opportunities as well as some of those formal development pieces. But Carly, mm -hmm. jump in. No, no, I that's uh, I, yeah, fundamentally agree. Like offer offer people opportunities to progress, and and look, the clients and the companies we sort of work with, because they're kind of scaling or they're kind of small, small and scaling or scaling really quickly. There's lots of opportunities for people to move generally kind of around and kind of pick up like transferable skills and um and and kind of move into different areas because they're identified gap and actually we could we can try those things but we know there's a skills shortage right like this this is reported on even even in the current climate with you know layoffs and stuff that we're experiencing we know there's a skill shortage we know there's not enough you know data scientists engineers like it's nurses like generally across the board there are skill shortages so anything as a company that you can do to support the, your team members and help them upskill in those areas that are useful to you as a business but also help them grow as well and maybe propel them into their next position um is incredibly valuable um and again i come back to this kind of really great conversations like having a really good growth conversation, understanding people's strengths and so that they can play, move into roles that play to their strengths and then giving them opportunities to kind of pick up different skills and, and think about different ways of learning as well. Like people approach learning in different ways. Some people like to read, some people like to watch, um, some people like, you know, learn by doing. Uh, it's There's lots of different approaches. So what kind of you know what um, materials can we put forward to give the, the those um 
can be put to individuals to be able to to upskill like um i'm a massive fan of multiverse and what they've been doing for like digital apprenticeships i think it's absolutely incredible um and you know kind of enabling particularly like they were talking about kind of breaking into financial services for instance um and helping people who've worked in financial services somewhat can be quite a traditional environment helping upskill in digital skills that are really more you know, useful to that business and that that in that environment, that industry as they grow and kind of keep moving forward and keep up with the times. It's just yeah. that's amazing. Yeah. Um, I also heard um, there was a, for example, a different example. There's a there's a platform that Albion VC have just invested in called um, Five Minutes Five Minutes AI, which is is basically uh, like TikTok Insta Stories, like short five minute videos of. Um, L and D platform basically mm. so people absorbing content in really kind of short um video format super personalized and gamified that it's really it's quite interesting everyone will have you know different depending on the generation as well like how they want to learn that will be mm. it's, it's important to explore those options I guess and be aware of them interesting I've not heard of that I'll have to check it out it sounds like an interesting uh, concept yeah. I'm not going to miss this uh, segue. You just teed me up perfectly, Carly, because Chi Chi from Multiverse is actually one of the people joining us next week to talk about this really? learning in flat organizations. So Carly didn't even know that there. You've got a ringing endorsement for next, the next episode <laughs> ahead of time. Um, <laughs> so that's always handy. Uh, the plug. Yeah, yeah, I know, exactly. <laughs> but yeah, I guess one like final thought on what you both alluded to there. We had Lavinia from Offbeat on a little while ago, and she made this great point that we often talk about curation in terms of like, how do we curate content, but we can curate people and opportunities. So if we're doing like our, our job well as a HR and LAD team, speaking to people, understanding their problems, speaking to individuals and asking where they want to go next in their career, like career, what skills do they want to develop? What current skills do they have that could be leveraged elsewhere? If the more we know that, we can connect people who want to grow a certain skill with an opportunity, and then everyone benefits basically. So I agree. If you're having good conversations, you're kind of maybe halfway there. Mm. But speaking and of good conversations, knowing your gaps, yeah. right? Knowing where you've got gaps yeah. in your company, really understanding where you you are lacking, like that, and that that requires a lot of self awareness and understanding. And then you know, carrying out things like talent mapping, for instance, um, mm-hmm. to help support in that is yeah a really useful process to go through. Yeah, yeah. no, I agree. And um, unfortunately, yeah, our our good conversation we've been having is. I've had to come to an end because we've hit time basically so uh, yeah I just want to say massive thank you Emma and Carly I really enjoyed that it was uh, cool to hear a different perspective on what was once 40 page PDFs to me and uh, I was able to read so uh, it's nice to <laughs> maybe just get over that process a little bit by talking through it so thanks a lot for today uh, thanks sure. everyone who could join us like I said we're going to put everything in an email that will go out to you and um, if you want to join us for future events then we will have the links you need in there as well so yeah just um, final time just to say thanks both thank you Uh, thanks everyone see you later